Happy Easter. Great to see everybody. I want to welcome you to Seacoast Church. Uh, welcome those of you that are here at the Mount Pleasant campus. You made it through the parking lot. Congratulations. You've already got a victory under your belt today. And I uh, want to also welcome all of you who are joining us online. In fact, we have people, uh, we have campuses, 13 campuses, Asheville, North Carolina, to Conway, South Carolina, North Charleston, Johns Island, Somerville. Why don't we here at Mount Pleasant, let's just welcome all of those who are joining us right now at one of our locations. We love our church family, and uh, yeah, it's Easter. Christ is risen. It's great news, great news. And um, I, I especially this Easter feel incredibly grateful uh, to be with you. My name is Josh Surratt. I serve as the lead pastor, and one year ago on Easter was probably one of the worst days of my life. Uh, while y'all were gathering here, I was literally battling for my life at MUSC, and I know many of you prayed for me. I'm so grateful for that. But that morning, I woke up, and it was such a low. Every level uh, that the doctors were hoping would go up had gone down. And uh, they, they told me, our goal today is to keep you off of a ventilator and keep you out of ICU. And uh, so I was just struggling, tried to watch online with our online community and really couldn't even focus. I remember FaceTiming with my kids uh, while they were doing the Easter egg hunt thing at home and just, just felt so isolated and so alone. Uh, but I'm so grateful that on that Easter, uh, that same resurrection power was at work in my body. And so I'm just glad to be here. The message may not be any good today, but I'm glad to be here. I'm having a good day. It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. I feel like, I feel like honestly, when you have a, a glimpse of your own mortality, it's almost like getting an upgrade on life. I got an upgrade on my perspective. Uh, I, I found clarity. Some things that mattered a lot to me before don't matter as much to me now. Uh, I, I try not to take anything for granted today. It really does feel like an upgrade. Did any of you guys love upgrades? I'm a big upgrade fan. You can give me any, just about any kind of upgrade. I'll take it. The airline ones are the best. Uh, every now and then I'll get an upgrade to first class. I'm way too cheap to pay for first class, but every once in a while, uh, I'll get one. And it was about seven years ago or so, my son and I were going on our very first uh, ever father-son trip. We were going to New York City, and that morning, I got a, a notification from Delta that said, hey, congratulations, Mr. Surratt, you've been upgraded to first class. I'm like, man, this is amazing. Uh, the problem was my son was not upgraded to first class, so it created like a little bit of a dilemma, and I thought, well, here's what I'm going to do. I, I went to the gate agent once I got there. I explained the circumstances to him, and I said, so uh, what I'm asking from you is would you let my son board with me when first class boards, and I'll walk him back to the back where he's going to sit, and then I'll go back up and sit in my seat. And he looked at me, the gate agent, like many of you are looking at me right now, like you must be the worst human being on planet Earth. But there was a little strategy involved for me, so he, he, he said, give me just a minute. Let me look at this. And so he worked on his computer, and I guess Delta doesn't do downgrades, because I think he was trying to put me like in the bathroom because of how he felt about me. But, but he said, I've, I've been able to upgrade both you and your son to first class. I'm like, come on, that's amazing. So we go, they got like this China ware. Miles and I are drinking our, our lemonade, and he's like, man, this is awesome. The problem is we didn't get an upgrade on the flight home. And he's like, Dad, what is this? Like, who, who, does this? who, who flies like this? You know, like, just you wait. That's how, that's how we do it. But uh, I love upgrades. You know, they're, they're great. 
Uh, there's some product upgrades. This is free for you. Just I knew that some of you, uh, you just want some practical stuff out of church today. Did you know there are upgraded fingernail clippers? You know how uh, when you clip your nails, sometimes they go everywhere. I don't know if any of you are married to a, a fingernail police like I am that just doesn't like it when the nails are. Well, these new fingernail clippers, they're like the lawnmower that, that has, catches the grass in the back. They catch the clippers in there. That's great. You need to get one of those. That will help your life. Uh, there are a lot of people in our church. We do a men's hike and we do women's hike. A lot of people love to hike and camp. There's an upgraded sleeping bag. Check this out. This is a sleeping bag that you can wear all day long. It's like Snuggie meets sleeping bag. You get to wear your bed all day long. I love that. That's an upgrade. You should get one of those uh, upgrades. Just take what's kind of a, a normal or acceptable deal, and it just makes it better. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm an upgrade fan for sure. Well, you know, I was thinking about the resurrection. And, and the resurrection of Jesus, when Jesus rose from the grave, not only uh, did it fulfill all of these prophecies and was it the significant moment in, in human history, it was almost like an upgrade for all of humanity that was available for all of humanity. They now, you know, we use dating in our, our world calendar system as AD and BC, right? It, it changed everything in humanity. And, and here's my thought today is I know that you know the story. Nobody came to church today wondering, I wonder how the story ends today. You know, like it's kind of like going to a movie and you already know how it ends. But, but here's the thing. Many of us, we have celebrated Easter maybe for years. But, but have you experienced the power of the resurrection and, and what's available to you and me as an upgrade? Because Easter offers an incredible upgrade opportunity. Look at what happens in Romans 8, 11. This is Paul. And he's explaining it, and he's telling people, hey, I want you to understand that the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. The resurrection is a huge deal. I mean, Jesus wasn't the first person to die on a cross. He wasn't the first innocent person to die. He wasn't even the first person to die for, for people that he loved, but he is the only person who predicted his death and predicted his resurrection and then did it, came back from the grave. I don't know about you, but, but I'm going to follow somebody who predicts their own death and resurrection and then follows through on it. It's a big deal, but it's also a big deal to us. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead, there's a life that is available to us where we can actually experience the resurrection power. So I want to look at the story today, and we're going to look at three different angles of it, three different perspectives, and, and there's some upgrades that are available to us. The story in Luke 24, and one of the accounts, the, the women show up, they've got their burial spices, they're ready to basically do for Jesus what they couldn't do for his body on the, the night he was crucified because of the Passover, and they, they, they show up to the grave and, and Jesus isn't there. And they're, they're, they're bewildered. They don't know what's going on. There's, there's some angels that are in the tomb. And in verse 5, it says, In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. And the men asked them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day, be raised again. 
And they have this moment of clarity. It says, then they remembered his words. And, and, and their experience of the risen Jesus changed everything for them. I think that's an interesting question that the angel asked. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? They really weren't looking for the living among the dead. They were looking for the dead among the dead. But the question, I think, resonates with us today, doesn't it? Have you ever looked for life in dead places? Maybe you've looked for meaning or purpose or fulfillment in something that, that couldn't provide it, maybe success or finances or even a relationship, and you realize, wow, there's, there's no life there. Maybe you've tried to find escape from the burdens that you carry in life, the fear, the anxiety, and you've, you've looked for, for life, you've looked for peace in places, maybe substances or habits that have only led to more death and more destruction. Why are we looking for the living among the dead? There's a better way. There's an upgrade. So three, three resurrection upgrades. The first one is this one. The resurrection upgrades our doubts into trust. Our doubt into trust. I wonder if there's anybody here today who's struggling with doubt. Maybe you, you struggle to even believe whether this whole thing is real. You know, maybe somebody brought you to church and you're sort of doing it to, to make mom happy or whatever. And you're, but you're kind of like, I don't know what to make of this whole thing. I'm not, I'm not sure. And I would just encourage you, if you're there, study the resurrection, not just the biblical accounts, but the historical accounts, because that's the thing that matters the most. If Jesus really did raised from the dead, then you can't ignore him. You can't ignore the claims that he made. And I'm not here to try to talk you into that. You're in a good place, a safe place, if you've got doubts. Maybe you're doubting God's plans for your life, your future. Maybe you've wondered if your best days are behind you or if there's still purpose or fulfillment for you in the future. Some of us, maybe we're struggling with a health issue, a diagnosis, and and we want to believe that Jesus can still heal today, but we have our doubts. We have our questions. It's, it's okay if you're in that place. But the empty tomb can help us get from a place of doubt to a place of faith and trust. And there, there's a story that happened among us, to some seacoasters, that happened just a few months ago. And I want you to see this, and I hope that it will encourage you and build your faith. Take a look at Kevin and Amy's story. Hey, Amy, it's Liz. Um, I just wanted to call and let you know I heard what happened, and we just want you to know that we are here for you, we are praying for you, and just know that you're not walking through this alone. I've always believed that God heals. I just wasn't sure what he never had with our family. It's, it's hard even when you know someone has a really bad diagnosis. It's still really, really hard to see them go through that. 
Kevin and I had both lost our moms. He had lost his brother, and I had lost my sister. And this was all within a four-year period. I can't even remember if it was my youngest or my oldest. They said, you know, it, God doesn't heal, you know? In my heart, I didn't have any evidence to refute what they were saying. On December 7th, um, Kevin and I get up really early. It was about 5 o'clock in the morning. He went into our master bath, and within seconds, I heard a really unusual scream. I came flying into the master bath, and he was laying on the floor. Um, he was clutching his heart. He was making a gasping sound, and he wasn't breathing. I remembered in that moment, I don't even know how, that Joy, our neighbor, is a nurse. It was not what I expected. It was so much worse than I ever expected to see. I don't even think I said anything to Amy. I, I just went straight into chest compressions. Just with every push, you could hear the fluid. Over the next 45 minutes, we had two different fire stations with firemen coming in the house. Um, and at that point, I started to fall apart a little bit. The time the third person came is when I stepped out of the room and realized that you know, my job here's done and I need to be with Amy. Just, I just kept begging everyone that came in to not give up. It was between 35, 40 minutes that Kevin had no heartbeat. It had gone on for so long that that's what I started to worry about too, that they were gonna say enough's enough. They had, they had not received anything positive from Kevin through all this. They ended up shocking him six times. But at the end of the sixth time, they finally got a pulse. And she heard that on the monitor. And she's like, they've got a pulse, they've got a pulse. Once the ambulance left and we were on our way to the hospital, I think at that point, I was almost numb. They had told me to get both of my girls home as quickly as, as I could. They came out and said that they had done everything they could with medicine and they were losing him. I remember when I got in to see Kevin, and we prayed over him, uh, we prayed over his body, and honestly, that's what it felt like. It felt like we were praying over a lifeless body. We were praying for a miracle, we were holding out for a miracle, but if I'm being real honest, I was also preparing for a funeral. Once I realized how serious it was, and probably the first day or two, just trying to, you know, <laughs> get through each day, um, there was a chapel <laughs> right there off the ICU. And I had gone in there and um, I had prayed on my knees. And I begged him to save Kevin. People that never even met at the church came and prayed for Kevin every day. People came believing that a miracle could happen. One of Kevin's best friends told me, you know, I'm, I prayed on my knees for him. And all. You know, this is not just a sentiment. These are people, you know, really begging, storming the gates of heaven, begging God to perform a miracle.
When I woke up and uh, was talking with the cardiologist who was informing me as to why I was in the hospital, one of the statements that he made was, not only was I the sickest person in the hospital, but I was also the sickest person in all the state of South Carolina. When you think about that I was resuscitated and came back to within 45, 50 minutes, there's a reason for that. And it certainly um, makes you start asking more questions of God as to why am I still here? Because there's a purpose. The real story is the amount of people that stormed the gates of heaven and implored God to perform a miracle. That's the story. And the impact it's had on other people's lives, that, that's the story. God hasn't given up on you, yet God, God loves you, and he's not going to give up on you, no matter what. I want to share that story with you because I know that there are some who are here today and maybe you've given up on the hope that God can heal and we've seen it happen time and time again and the power of the resurrection. Again, it doesn't mean there was no doubt. You see it in the story. There was doubt on my part. There was doubt on her part, but there was also a glimmer of trust and hope and the Bible says we just need a little bit of faith. And I'm hoping that some of us will leave today with just a little bit of faith, because if you're like me, I've prayed for a lot of people whose story didn't end up the way Kevin's did. I've prayed for a lot of people who, who didn't come out of the hospital. And, and, and so what happens is over time, you begin to pray through a lens of your own disappointment and your own experience, and you begin to doubt whether God can or not. But because Jesus came out of the grave, listen to me, 40 minutes is a long time to go without a pulse. Jesus went three days without a pulse, and that same power is still alive and at work today. So I'm going to stop praying through the lens of my, my disappointment or my own experience, and I'm going to start praying through the lens of an empty tomb and a God who still has the power to heal today. And if you need a little bit of that faith, there's, there's some of it among us today, and you're going to have an opportunity today if you're struggling, maybe you're sick, to be prayed over and to believe that. And listen, why do some people get healed and some people don't? I, have, I wish I had an answer for that. I wish I did. But here's the reality of, of, of Easter, is that Jesus died on a cross to take all of our sin and all of our shame. He conquered death to prove that, that death is not our final enemy. And, and if we will receive what Jesus did for us, we can be assured that we will experience healing. Maybe it will be a supernatural healing like we saw with Kevin and like we've seen in many, many people's stories here at Seacoast. Maybe it'll be a medical intervention, which again, I think about joy. Thank God for that nurse who is there to provide medical treatment. And, and oftentimes God does that. But, but if not, we're assured the healing of heaven as believers. And, and so, so ultimately, it's got to be about more because everybody that Jesus healed in the Bible, guess what? They all end up dying again, right? These bodies that we have are temporary there's a longing within us for, for eternity. The Bible says that God has planted eternity in the human heart. We know it's not right. We know there's something wrong about it. But because of what Jesus did in overcoming death, we can live with the assurance of eternal life that we can begin to experience here. And so if you're here and you have doubts, again,
Welcome to the family. We all have some doubts. I love the story of Thomas. Some of you have been in church for a long time. Some of you haven't, but most of you know what Thomas's nickname was. Tell me, what was Thomas's nickname? Doubting Thomas. That's really not fair. He had some doubts, but here's what happened. Thomas uh, was one of the disciples of Jesus, and after Jesus resurrected, he showed up to a gathering of the disciples, and he showed up in his resurrected body, and he revealed himself to these disciples, and, and, and they were all excited, but guess what? Thomas didn't show up to small group that night. He chose a really bad day to skip small group, so he didn't see Jesus. And they're all telling him about Jesus, and he's raised from the dead. And Thomas was just super honest. And he said, you know what? I don't believe it. I don't. And I'm not going to believe it either. Until I see Jesus with my own eyes, and I see the nail marks in his arm, I'm not going to believe. And guess what? God wasn't intimidated by Thomas's doubts. God wasn't mad about Thomas's doubts. In fact, a little bit later, Jesus showed up again, and this time he saw Thomas, and he said, Thomas, I want you to come here. I know where you're at, and I don't know where you're struggling. I want you to see the nail marks in my arms. And as soon as Thomas came face to face with the resurrection, the reality that Jesus was alive, it changed everything. And he did what, what the only appropriate response is, and he said, my Lord, my God. Jesus, I believe. And Jesus said something to Thomas that really is relevant to us. He said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Guess what? That promise is for us. That for those of us that haven't seen him with our own eyes, but we've, we've heard the story and we've experienced him in our lives and we've chosen to, to move past our doubt to say, you know what, God, I don't understand it all, but I trust you. And I believe you, there's a special blessing reserved for us. And so, again, where are you struggling with doubt? I'm praying that you'll experience an upgrade this weekend, that you'll experience the reality of the resurrection and that you'll walk out of here with a little bit more faith and a little bit more belief. Second upgrade takes us from distortion to truth, from distortion to truth. Distortion is the act of twisting or altering something out of its true, natural, or original state. In other words, there's, there's a little bit of truth, but then there's also kind of this distortion that changes a little bit. And guess what? That's the enemy of your soul. That's his native language. He loves to lie to us. John 8, 44 says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of the lies. And here, here's because of the resurrection, the enemy has no power over you anymore. Jesus took all of that away from him. The only thing he has is to, to get us to believe things that aren't true, because if we do, we'll begin to live as if they are true. And, and that's his only tactic that he has against us. It's almost like an Instagram filter. You guys, you guys know Instagram filters? Any of you use those? If so, you should go to the cross really right now. It's, they they, they kind of take your picture and, and they just make you look a little bit better. They take away the, the, the you know, shadows beneath your eyes and they, they fix your skin blemishes. And I found actually an Instagram filter. This is the Brandon Lake hair <laughs> Instagram filter. Brandon, come on, man. I, I've, I'm struggling a little bit in the back. And so it just kind of makes you look a little bit better, right? 
But, but here's, what, here's what the enemy does, is he does the opposite of that. He, he takes something that may be true, maybe something that you've done, a mistake that you've made, and, and he distorts it to, to get us to believe that we're going to be defined by that. Because if he can get us to believe a lie, we'll live as if it's true. My Instagram actually got, I, I had a fake account that was made, um, and it looked a lot like my Instagram. Uh, my deal is at Josh Sir. And this one was at Josh Sir with just a little underscore after the R. All of the pictures were the same. It looked like me. And so what they did is they set up this account and they began to follow a bunch of people who go to the church. And once you followed them back or they followed you, they, they send you a message. Because if they can get you to believe that you're me, they would leverage any trust that we've built up over the years and they tried to use it for their gain. And so they would say, hey, beloved, uh, God wants to bless you. Would you consider giving a gift to this orphanage in Africa that actually doesn't even exist. And some people believed that lie, believed it was me, and ended up giving to this orphanage. They took advantage, and that's what the enemy does. He gets us to believe. By the way, just this is free. If you do choose to follow me on Instagram, I will never call you beloved, and I will never ask you for money. So those are just two things that aren't going to happen uh, from, from your pastor. But... Uh, but the enemy tries to distort things. And, and one area that he does this with us is in the area of shame. In the area of shame. How many of you were in church, so don't lie. How many of you would say there's at least one thing that you've done in your life that you were ashamed of? Just show of hands. Okay, good. This is a very honest crowd. I like that. Why don't you share with your neighbor what that was? <laughs> Just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But what, what happens is we, we do something that we're ashamed of. Oftentimes, the Bible calls it sin. It's, it's that looking for life in dead places. And, and we may experience a, a tinge of guilt or conviction that shows us, hey, this is wrong. And then we do a Bible word. It's called repentance. And <clears throat> we literally turn away from our sin and go in another direction. That's a great thing. But what the enemy does is he distorts it just a little bit. And he introduces shame. Guilt says I did something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. Guilt says I made a mistake. Shame says I am a mistake. And the enemy wants to define us by our worst moments or the worst moments that happened to us. But because of the resurrection, we know the truth that God speaks over us, that we are beloved children of it. I may, I may not call you beloved, but, but he did. And he called you adopted and he called you cleansed from unrighteousness. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, he took all of our sin, all of our shame, so that we could live and not have to pay a price that we never could have paid anyways for our sin. I'm praying for some of you that may be dealing with shame today. Maybe you feel like your future has been nullified because of something you've done, that you'll walk out of here knowing the truth. I think about Peter Peter was really defined by one of his worst moments, right as Jesus needed him the most. He denied Christ. Jesus is being crucified, beaten, humiliated. And some people come up to Peter and say, aren't you one of his followers? And within earshot of Jesus, he says, no, I never knew him. I can't imagine how much shame he must have felt over that. Somebody that God had already told him that he was going to be a significant part of building the church, he had to assume that those plans were done. But I love in Mark, which is actually the gospel that's spoken through Peter. Peter, most uh, scholars think that Peter uh, 
dictated this gospel to Mark. Adds a detail that no other gospel tells. Look at this in, in verse 7, chapter 16. The angels told the women, but go tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter, I love that. That they knew that he had to be experiencing some, uh, some level of shame. He had to have wondered if he was still even considered one of the disciples after what he had done. But God went to, to great lengths to make sure he knew, hey, and when I say the disciples, Peter, I'm still talking about you. And so he said, I want you to tell them to meet, meet Jesus up in Galilee. And Jesus takes a moment with Peter to say, hey, do you love me? Those plans I spoke over you, they're still in play. I still want you to feed my sheep. And just a few weeks later, Peter would preach a message and 3,000 people would get saved in Acts chapter 2. And we are still living in, in the wake of the obedience and the plans and the purposes that God had on Peter's life. And if Peter didn't get canceled because of his sin and shame, you don't get canceled because of yours either. That's the good news of the resurrection. One more thing for us. One more upgrade. The, the resurrection upgrades our doubts to, to, to belief and trust, the distortion to truth. The resurrection also upgrades our distraction and to focus. Man, we live in a distracted culture, don't we? Someone once said that if the enemy can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And we, we, we are so distracted in our culture, distracted by the pursuit of success, distracted by maybe the news. One of the gifts that I had after I got sick, I decided, you know what? I'm going to turn my notifications off of my phone. And guess what? Bad stuff still happens in the world. And I still don't have to solve it all, but, but I also don't carry the weight of it. Nobody's coming to me saying, hey, Josh, would you fix this? And it's just a better way to live. Distraction-free. We get distracted by our phones. Some of us get distracted in our own grief and sorrow. There's a woman named Mary Magdalene. She was a close friend of Jesus, follower of Jesus. And, and she encounters the risen Christ, but she was so distracted in her own grief that she couldn't see him. And in John 20, verse 14 through 16, it says, at this she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was him. She didn't realize it. And he asked her, woman, why, why are you crying? Who is it that you're, you're looking for? And she assumed that he was the gardener, and she was like, you know, what did you do with him? If you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. And then Jesus said to her one word, Mary, her name, something about the risen Christ saying her name broke through the distraction and allowed her to take her focus off of her grief and back onto the risen Christ. She turned toward him and she cried out, Rabbi, which means teacher. Everything changed for her because of the risen Christ. She was so distracted by her own grief and sorrow that she didn't realize that she was in the presence of the risen Christ. Some of us today, we've been distracted, maybe by our own sorrow. And I want to assure you that because of the empty grave, because of the resurrection, his presence is with you everywhere you go. You're in the presence of the risen Christ today. And just like he called her name, he knows yours too. And he knows where you're at. And he wants to speak your name. Get your focus back. 
Ultimately, the upgrade is from death to life. See, the, the, the result of experiencing the risen Christ is that, that we don't have to look for the life in those dead places anymore. Jesus came to give us life. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's John chapter 10. But Jesus said, but I've come to give you life and life to the full. I want you to really live. I don't want you to sleepwalk your way through this life that we get. I want you to experience life. But some of us, we've heard it. We've celebrated it. But it's like, how, how do I access that life? I was thinking about that when two, three weeks ago, I was going to pick up my son from soccer. My daughters were in the car with me. We stopped by the gas station to get him some Gatorade. And I left the car running. The girls were in the car. I went inside to go get some Gatorade. And the girls decided to come in with me, which was fine. They wanted a, something to eat too. So I, I, I got them all something. And, and one of my daughters, because she's responsible, she decided to lock the car when she went in. Like, oh, the keys were in the car. And so, so I'm locked out. Now I'm late. And my wife was out of town that week and she had the other set of keys. And so I'm, I'm like, oh, what do I do? And so I do what we do when we're locked out of our car, right? I started to look into the windows as if there's some other way to get into this car that I just hadn't thought of yet until this moment. And I'm looking in there and I can see my keys and I can see my phone. I can see my stuff. It's my car, but I can't access it because I don't have the keys. And then I remembered that I have OnStar. I've always wondered, why do I pay for OnStar? Maybe they can help in this moment. And so I borrow somebody's phone and, and I call OnStar and they look up my account and they're like, yeah, Mr. Surratt, we, we, we've got you in here. We can take care of you. We can unlock the door, which is scary. What else can they do <laughs> if they can unlock the car? But so, so I'm looking in here and, and, and listen, I don't know how it works. I still don't know how the technology works. I don't understand it, but, but somehow they were able to, to give me access to my car with this technology that I don't understand. And, and I, 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 so, so I'm, we're, we're pulling on the doorknobs and all of a sudden it, it unlocks and, and I can get the keys and it's, it's amazing. And I can't help but think that there are some of us that are here today. And it's like, yeah, I hear you talking about the presence of God and the peace of God and the power of God. But I don't know how to access it. I don't know how to, to really experience that. Again, maybe you've celebrated it, but you haven't experienced it. And the resurrection of Jesus is like this, this cosmic on-star where God said, you know what, I, I got the keys. I got the keys. I can give you access to this life if you'll just believe and receive this free gift. Revelation 1.18, Jesus said, I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. That not only did Jesus defeat the enemy, but he took the keys from him and locked him out. The enemy doesn't have power over you anymore. We can experience this life. So I guess my question for you today is, do you want to? Do you want to experience the upgrade? Have you ever seen this image that's going to be up on the screen? I don't know if your phones do this, but every now and then this image will pop up. It's basically saying, hey, there's an upgrade. There's an update that's available for you. Would you like to upgrade? 
And if I'm being honest, usually I don't do it on the first time because I don't know what it's going to change. And I kind of like the way my phone works as it is, right? But, but the reality is, is the longer I go without upgrading, the worse my phone performs. And eventually it won't even work if I don't upgrade it. And maybe you've heard this stuff before and you've been around church for a long time and maybe you've chosen not to get the upgrade a time or two, but life works the same way. The longer we refuse the upgrade, the harder it is, the, the more we get stuck. And I just want to encourage you today as we close in prayer, would you like to receive the upgrade that Jesus offered? Would you like to receive the gift? You can access that presence and that power. Would you guys bow and close in prayer with me? And here and at the campuses, we're just going to take a moment. Campus pastors are going to come up at the campuses. And if you're here today and you would just say, you know what? Yes, I want to receive the upgrade. The, the easiest way that I know how to explain it is Roman says that all we have to do is confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in our heart that he rose from the dead and we can be saved. That word means healed. That word means we can experience the upgrade that he offers us. And so if you're here today, and again, we'll bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to give you an opportunity. If you'd say, Josh, I want you to pray, pray that for me. Pray that I would receive that today. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I want to pray, pray for you. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand right now here all over this place? Yes. Okay. 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 So God, we're here today and we're asking you to give us the upgrade. God, you know every story behind every hand that's raised right now here online at our campuses. And I thank you that just like you called Mary's name, you know our name, you know where we're at, you know where we're stuck, you know where we're struggling. And so today we're saying, God, we choose to believe. We choose to believe, Jesus, that you are who you said you were. And we choose to believe that you rose from the dead. Lord, would you help us to experience your power, your peace, your presence? God, we don't want to just celebrate Easter. We want to experience you today. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Lord, would you help us to experience that today? We believe and we receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, just like I don't have to understand all the details for how OnStar works in order to experience the benefits, you may not understand all the theology. That's okay. It's as simple as saying, I'm choosing to believe today. And I want to receive. And God's going to take you on a journey of living this life that he's called you to live. We're going to respond to him today. And if you're new at Seacoast, this is just a few minutes in our service. We're, we're almost done. But we're going to just ask the question, God, what are you saying to me today? And then what are you going to do in response? A lot of us are going to go to the crosses and the crosses here at Seacoast. We've got some paper and some pins. And if there's anything that you came in today carrying, maybe a burden, maybe some shame, it could be doubt. 
If there's anything that you're carrying today that doesn't belong with you, it belongs on the cross. Jesus already paid for it. Take it back there and put it on the cross today. So I'm choosing not to leave this place with the same thing that I carried in. And I'm praying that as you do that, that God's going to just meet you in that moment. Fill you with his peace, fill you with his presence. Some of us are going to come and take communion. There's communion here. By the way, we upgraded communion this weekend. It's the real bread. We got rid of those little. Yeah, isn't that? yeah come on. Homeboy hadn't had a lot of carbs lately, so I'm like, I'm going to eat that bread and it's going to be good. But you don't have to be a member of Seacoast Church to take communion with us. You just have to have said yes to Jesus, have, have said yes to the free gift of salvation that he offers. And, and the, the body and the blood through the bread and the, the juice is a reminder of what he did for us and the price that was paid for our freedom. And many of us are going to come and receive that. Some of us are going to go to the candles and the candles. Maybe there's somebody that you know that they may feel far from God right now. Maybe you even thought during this service, I wish that they were here. I wish that they would experience this life that God has called them to. Some of us are going to go and just light a candle and pray for them. Just pray that God would speak their name. He's a lot closer than you may think to them. That he would show up in a way that, that only they would know that, that it was him. We're going to pray for them. Some are going to come and receive prayer. And again, maybe you're dealing with a diagnosis. And I want to remind you that the same power that that brought Jesus back from the dead, that brought Kevin back, is available today. And you may not have all the faith. You may have a little bit of faith mixed with a lot of doubt. That's okay. We would love to pray for you and just believe and speak life over you, over your circumstances. And then we're going to sing. We're going to celebrate an awesome God who loves us so much. He wants us to experience life to the full. So what's God saying to you today? Let's respond to him together as a church.